Hey, everyone. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, just the opportunity uh, to um, just share in the salvation that the living word has provided Jesus Christ. Lord, uh, we desire to be taught by you, to know you on a deeper level, and to be known intimately by you, God. And so we pray uh, in this time, Lord, um, that we would grow in you, that you would be our teacher, and that we uh, would come into a posture of worship, uh, that you may be glorified uh, for you and through you and in you um, are all things. And Lord, we, we just rest in you and pray that your will be done in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so like I said, my name is Matt, and it's, it's good to be looking at God's word with you this morning. I just want to invite you uh, to open up to, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't dismiss the kids. Kids, go ahead back there. The elementary school kids will be joining us uh, for communion, so that's going to be awesome this morning. I had people waving to me in the back. Um, So Colossians chapter 1, go ahead and turn there, page 983 in your pew Bibles. Um, We're going to be looking at the end of chapter 1 and starting in chapter 2 this morning. So while you're turning there, I want to take a survey, and I want to see who's brave in the congregation. So uh, would you raise your hand? Um, If you have ever read something in the Bible and you had zero idea what it meant. Sweet. All right. Now, would you raise your hand uh, if you've ever read something in the Bible and you were surprised to find out that it didn't agree with what you had thought? Okay. Thank you. You guys are great. All right. Well, if you can identify with these, um, I think you're in for a treat because... Uh, At first glance, this passage we're going to read this morning might do both of those things for us. So uh, it's going to be great. But before we do that, um, I just, I want to consider a little bit of the context. We're going to be fleshing this out a little bit more as we go into the passage. But if you're just joining us, I just want to give you the quick, brief lowdown of where we've been. So what we're doing is we're reading Colossians. And Colossians is uh, the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Colossae around the year A.D. 60. And he wrote it presumably from Rome uh, while he was in jail. So we call it a prison epistle. It is a letter that he wrote to them from prison. And fortunately for us, the Apostle Paul has certain writing habits that make it easy for us to study his word and kind of wrap our minds around what is going to happen. So uh, one of the things that he often does is he has this habit of defending his ministry, And so he will write in defense of himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And another thing that he does is he writes with an intention in mind. Uh, And so when we write a letter, or nowadays we write emails more often, so when we write an email to somebody, uh, we often have a purpose for writing that, even if it's just to say hello. Same thing is going on here. So Paul is going to have a purpose, and oftentimes his purpose has to do with Christian living or correcting false teaching in the church um, or just encouraging uh, God's people. And so when we're trying to wrap our minds around today's passage, uh, the first paragraph we're going to look at is Paul's defense of his ministry. And the second paragraph, he is going to start speaking into the situation that the Colossian church finds themselves in. Okay, so... Uh, And as he does that, he's going to teach us two things. And these are things that I actually want you to remember this morning, if you remember nothing else. The first thing I want you to remember is that he demonstrates that our suffering has a purpose and a proper response. 
And he also shows us that Christ is supreme and sufficient in a world that offers us only emptiness. So I'll repeat them one more time. So our suffering has a purpose and a proper response. And this world offers us only emptiness where Christ is able to offer us sufficiency and he is supreme. So with that said, um, we're going to try something a little different since I've been here at Park. And we're going to read this passage together as a church body. Um, One of the things that Paul and I think that uh, God desires we do is be unified around him and his word. And so in order to kind of put that into practice, we're going to read uh, this passage all together out loud. So if you would stand, um, we're going to start in chapter 1, verse 24, and uh, go through chapter 2, verse 5. So would you read this along with me? It says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Go ahead and have a seat. That's so distracting. I'd never realized it when everyone's reading with you. Uh, Thanks for participating with me this morning. Um, So like I said, this is not um, an easy passage, but it is profound. And I think that even uh, the harder passages of scripture are worth taking the time to receive. And I also... Before we even get into the topic of suffering, I, I want to be sensitive um, to the people sitting in this room uh, that many, if not all of us, at some point in our life have suffered for some reason or have at the very least struggled for one reason. And when we talk about the idea of suffering, um, this may bring up emotions or memories or experiences um, that can be painful. And so if that is you and you are sitting here uh, I just want to, to welcome you into this space, let you know that this is a safe space uh, and that you are not the only one here that is struggling. This room is full of broken people um, and Jesus is the great physician and he does understand what you're going through. Um, so if that is you, I, just, I want to encourage you um, to be vulnerable in this time and to just hear what God's word says to us. So it is clear though From this passage, that our suffering serves a definite purpose and it has a response. So when I say suffering, what does this make you think of? Think, think. Does it make you think uh, that suffering is inherently evil? Does it make you think that this should be avoided at all costs? Any kind of suffering, we should avoid it at all costs. Because I'm here to submit to you that if we're thinking about suffering in this way, then we might be thinking about it completely wrong in light of what the scriptures tell us. So let's look at what it says, verses 24 and 25. 
Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church of which I became a minister, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Now right about here is that moment where I said those two questions in the beginning might come back into play. So what this is, this is the what is Paul talking about moment, as Peter would say in, in another portion of Scripture. Some things uh, that Paul writes are hard to understand. So yes, he just said that he is rejoicing in his suffering, and he also used the word lacking and Christ's afflictions in the same sentence. And so what do we make of this? What, how do we deal with this? What is he actually trying to say? And so we'll do it a little bit at a time, but Paul says he is rejoicing in his sufferings. And and we ask, how is he able to do this? And in, in order to, to kind of get a bigger picture of the counsel of Scripture, um, I think we should look at Colossians chapter 3. I can read it to you. Chapter 3, verses 8 uh, through 11. And so this is another letter that Paul wrote. And, and he talks about suffering here as well. And we can kind of get a grasp of what he's getting at. So he says, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that, comes, uh, that, that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead." So you might read that and say, what? So according to this, suffering is a very tangible thing that we share with our Savior. Friends, Paul is able to rejoice because he understands that his sufferings help him to identify with Christ on a deeper level. Now, just a quick side note, I don't want to make it seem like I am advocating for the pursuit of suffering. I wouldn't say that we should pursue suffering for the sake of experiencing pain. And furthermore, if there's someone uh, sinning in your life and it is causing you suffering, I'm not saying we should endure it and not confront that sin. I'd say that'd be wrong. And I'm also not saying that we should celebrate our miserable circumstances because that's not what it means to rejoice in your suffering. After all, we, we look at scripture and we see godly men and women mourning their harsh circumstances. As Larry Osborne might say, we don't want to be jobing ourselves. But I am, however, making the case that we need to stop seeing suffering as a bad thing for our Christian walk because this is contrary to what the scriptures show us. They teach us that we should rejoice because when we suffer, we are identifying with Christ in a way that we may not have been able to before. Church, our suffering is a temporary opportunity and not an eternal reality. And as we look through this passage, we will see the continued struggle of Paul on behalf of the church. So Paul demonstrates that he's joyfully receiving suffering, but it must have a purpose behind it. We don't just suffer for suffering's sake. This is why I say we shouldn't pursue suffering just to experience pain. It must have a purpose. And when we think about this, the best place that I believe we should start is with Jesus. N.T. Wright, the New Testament scholar, would call Jesus the crucified kingdom bringer. Church, Jesus was crushed, and he was beaten, and he was mocked, and he was hung on a cross for us. And for some reason, we think that if we are following him, 
that it's going to be sunshine and daisies in our life. And you may say, Matt, I don't really believe this, but let's just think about the way that we live our lives. Do our lives betray us and actually say that we hope and strive for and expect a life that is without suffering? Brothers and sisters, Christ's suffering was the vehicle that God used in order to save us. It wasn't just uh, him, God responding to harsh circumstances that were put on his son, and it wasn't just the end result that he would suffer, but it was the means that God used to push along his salvific plan. We can see that at least part of the purpose of our suffering is to catapult the gospel. And if you, if you want to question this, let's think about the state of the persecuted church today and all throughout history, there seems to be a trend that every time the church is oppressed or suffers, it grows and thrives either spiritually or literally in number. This means that the honor of suffering for Christ may not impact only you, but it will impact the rest of the church. All right, now for the, the elephant in the room. The passage that says, in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body, that is the church. So what is Paul talking about? What is he getting at? And I, I, I would make a case that Paul is not talking about God's saving us through Christ. He is not saying that what Christ did is insufficient because that would undermine the whole point of this entire letter that we're going to be reading for the next few weeks here, so... So what does Paul mean? What is he doing? So Paul understands that Christ is no longer able to suffer in the same way he did in his earthly ministry because he is sitting at the right hand of the Father and is interceding for his people. So what does Paul mean? So what Paul is doing is he takes the suffering that he is, is receiving and he is attributing it to Christ's afflictions. And he's not doing it in an effort to... Uh, to add to Jesus' saving work, but he is doing it in an effort to give his king due honor and credit. So what he is doing is he is what we would call participation in, in the work of the gospel. So he is receiving the suffering, and he is crediting the glory that is received from it to Jesus. He is identifying with Jesus. And not only that, but he says, uh, for the sake of the body, See, he sees what he is doing as he's doing it for the sake of the church. He thinks that his suffering betters the church in some way. So let's just take some time to consider how countercultural this is. So we live in a world that says one of two things. It says that either we should avoid suffering completely, it is an, a horrible thing, or it is something uh, that is meant to make us a better person. It is meant to grow our character. And so we're left with responding to that in one of two ways. We're left either self-medicating our lives and putting band-aids on our hurts, or we're left trying to save ourselves. But the word of God tells us that our suffering has a definite purpose in that it occurs for the purpose of catapulting the gospel and growing the church. And it helps us identify with Jesus, the suffering servant. If you forgot, this is something that we, we commonly call Jesus, and we, I think it's easy to forget this. It is a privilege in our suffering that we should be able to rejoice in Christ. Now, if this is true, then how do we respond? Well, I believe the first uh, way that we can consider our responding is by understanding that God is not absent 
in our hurts and in our struggles. Look at verse 29. It says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul, as I said, is participating in the work with God in bringing the gospel to a, a world that is broken. So God, we see, is intimately involved in the work of his people, regardless of their level of comfort. And this is good news because it means that uh, not only do we identify with God, but God identifies with us through Christ and that he understands and that we have access through Christ to come to him no matter what our, our feelings and emotions, how much pain we're feeling is, we are able to come to him in that. We also respond by not wasting our suffering. And I know that sounds kind of funny, so I want to uh, clarify that a little bit. We waste our suffering when in our harder circumstances, we ignore God. When we don't pursue how our pain, how our situations, if God is sovereign, there must be a reason for it. And when we ignore God and we don't pursue how the suffering fits into his grander work, either in us, in the church, or in the world, we end up wasting our suffering. Church, let's not waste our circumstances, whether good or bad, because when we do this, we are not only hurting ourselves, but we are depriving the church body of a privilege and an honor. So suffering is not easy, but it is not bad inherently for a Christian walk. The world only views suffering as evil because they reject a good and loving God. And as we continue reading this, like I said, we will see Paul continue to talk about his struggle, but now we're going to see him shift into talking about the magnificence of Christ. It is brilliant. He makes this shift from talking about his struggle to pointing us to Jesus in the midst of the Colossian circumstances, which they are certainly wrestling with. Okay, so let's look at uh, 126 through 25. I know we read this again, but I... I don't think it's ever bad to hear the word of God more than once. So, he says, the mystery, he's talking about the word of God, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God has chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. There's so many run-on sentences in here. <laughs> but in seriousness, just look at the big language that Paul is using. He's using huge language for Christ. He says he talks about the mystery hidden for generations but revealed to the saints. He talks about Christ, the hope of glory, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He uses mystery, uh, hidden, treasure. These are words that keep coming up in our passage. And so it, we're only, uh, it, would be, it would be stupid of us not to question 
why he's doing that. What is the point? Why is that the specific wording he is using? So as I said, we're going to add a little more context now. So Paul is speaking into a circumstance in the Colossian church where they had encountered false teaching and heresy. And this false teaching and heresy, Andrew had preached a little bit back on um, Gnosticism. So that the heresy they're running into and their false teaching that they're encountering right now is what develops into Gnosticism or uh, salvation by knowledge um, in the second century. So we're seeing the early parts of that coming to light here. And so they emphasize knowledge and mystery and the ability to be saved through more knowledge. That sounds kind of familiar to our, to our world right now. And it downplayed the sufficiency and value of Christ and, and Christ's ability to save us, him and him alone. And so what does he do? Is he makes a strong push to show that Christ is completely sufficient in light of a, a false teaching which was quite persuasive during the time. And he wants to show that Christ is, is completely sufficient for all they will ever need. Brothers and sisters, let's consider our context here. I get that we may not be encountering the same type um, of false teaching, but are you encountering belief systems that neglect the value of having God as their centerpiece? Or are there things or objects in your life that uh, are attractive to you that seem that they might satisfy you more than an invisible God? Because this is who Christ, or who, this is who Paul says Christ is. This, is. this is the way he lists them out. He says, Christ is that which of all of salvation has looked to over generations and ages. Not only that, but this access to salvation through him is not hidden but revealed in his word through the gospel and is available to all people of all backgrounds. Not only that, but he is in his followers and he is their hope of glory. And not only that, but this one who is the centerpiece of salvation, who indwells his people, who is, who is the hope of glory, this one has within himself all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So let me ask you, do those things in your life that fight for your attention and your affections, do they have that kind of resume? Because those things' ability to play God in your life will leave you empty and ultimately alone and without relationship with a holy and loving creator. They cannot offer you the abundant life that Jesus can. Church, this is our God. This is who we are responding to. That is, that is only part of his resume. That is only part of who he is. And I would say that's enough for me. So how do we respond? And I would say in light of those things that we just read about Christ, I think there's almost an infinite amount of ways to respond, most of which come out of a, a posture of worship. But here's a couple tangible things to, to chew on here. We can respond by remembering that any philosophy, belief, or system of thought, or even object that doesn't feed your affections for Christ and ultimately come back to him, they will not satisfy that they are false. And in seeking wisdom and knowledge, we must first come to Christ. If all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him, then why do we have this drive to look somewhere else first in our self-help guides, within ourselves, and in our friends? They are in Christ first and foremost. And as, more practically, we can do this by prayer and by looking at God's word. I mean, we have 
right in front of you, in your pews or in your hands. This is God's written revelation to mankind with innumerable and unexhaustible wisdom. So this should be the place where we are starting. This is what Christ would have for us. So we're just going to transition. We're going to transition here to taking the Lord's Supper together. And this is, uh, if you are a follower of Jesus, this is for you. And we're going to do stations today. So Ben and the worship band are going to come up and we're going to respond to God through song and and take communion. Uh, But I just want to encourage you that you remember that in light of our own pain, in light of our own struggles and in all of our suffering, we are remembering Christ's suffering while we take this that his body was broken for us, that he bled for us, and that he is the suffering servant who is sufficient for us, no matter what our circumstance. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus and you are curious about Jesus, I wanna be very honest that God is real and he is loving and he is just and we have all rebelled against him. Yet in love, he sent Jesus, his son, to die for sins And Jesus offers abundant life. He is the way and the truth, and he is the life. And he did not just die for you, but he rose three days later. And he offers you eternal and abundant life. If you would simply repent and put your faith in him, he wants to afford you grace. And I want you to ask yourself, what in this world offers you something greater than that? because I want to encourage you to lay that down and place your faith in Jesus. You can do that right where you are, and if you have questions, I'd be happy to talk to you about that after the service. Friends, despite the pain that our suffering brings us, it is also an opportunity to identify with Jesus. So let's take this time to call those things that we may have shoved under the carpet, the pain that we are experiencing, the suffering that we have had in our past, and let's bring that into the light And let's look at what the scriptures tell us about what it means to suffer and who Jesus is in the light of that suffering. And let's respond to him in worship. Let's pray. Lord, you are so good and you are sovereign over all things and you work all things according to your purposes and will. As you say in Genesis God, what man intends for evil, you intended for good, and you want only our good. No matter what our our circumstances feel like, no matter the emotions we may have or the pain we may be feeling, God, you love us, and you desire us to come to you in repentance. So God, we pray uh, that we would uh, be drawn nearer to you, and that we would come through your son um, to know you on a deeper level and more profound level, but that it wouldn't stop there, that we would be led in our, in our good and our bad times, in, in our joy and in our suffering, to come nearer to you knowing that you have suffered for us. And in that, may we find joy, and may that joy speak volumes to those that are experiencing real pain in our community. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we praise you today. In Jesus' name, amen.